In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> Last week, an air traffic controller received the most unusual of transmissions. Across the radio waves came a voice that says, I've got a serious situation here. My pilot is incoherent, and I don't know how to fly an airplane. The plane had originated out of the Bahamas. It was a small uh, Cessna plane, just a few passengers. And when he recognized that things were awry, he managed to get to the cockpit and radio in the air traffic controller. Calm and trained as they are, um, he first tried to establish where the plane was and then gave him some basic instructions on how to stabilize the aircraft. The line went silent for what seemed like an eternity as the panicked passenger tried to do just the two things that he was instructed, finding the controllers, trying to figure out where the orientation of the craft was, and finally, when he came back on, to make matters worse, his voice began to crackle in and out as he was having trouble remaining connected. So before they lost the transmission, this air traffic controller managed to procure the man's cell phone, and then a 20-year veteran picked up the phone from the control center and called the man back. If it weren't in Florida, I might have assumed that was Greg, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, so that air traffic controller got on the phone with this man. He was a seasoned veteran not only in his field, but he also happened to be a flight instructor on the side. A flight instructor, as it would happen, for the very type of aircraft the man was in panic aboard. So, staying on the line, he managed to walk this man through landing a plane in mid-flight. To spare you the suspense, the fuzzy photo before you is the end of that conclusion as they finally landed in peaceful pathways on the tarmac. That air traffic controller later would recount to colleagues in the news that it was something out of a movie um, and all of his experience, he'd never received such um, a, a transmission before. Probably never will, he hopes. <laughs> Once they landed and the emergency personnel rushed around, they found a peaceful scene. They tended to the pilot, no one was injured, and the man actually managed to uh, land the plane quite gracefully. As I was reflecting on that this week, I thought, in many ways, that's similar to life, is it not? In many ways, we go throughout life, whether we recognize it or not, operating under something or someone. Whether we recognize it or not, something is at the controls. It can be fear. It can be shame. It can be um, concern. It could be ourselves. It can be any number of things at the controls. And we go through life sometimes thinking that our job, when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, as we're reminded in our baptism today, that really we just need to kind of radio in from time to time and ask for guidance and direction at the forks in the road or at seasons when it's more required. But if we spent any number of minutes even in Scripture and we read the things that Jesus fulfills therein, we recognize that that is not possible. We can't do the very things that Jesus taught and commanded by ignoring and overriding ourselves at the realm or our desires or whatever that is. It actually requires something far greater, something far different, to find the pathways of peace that were promised therein. 
So this morning, I'd invite you, if you would turn with me to John 14. This theme of pathways of peace is found therein, and there's many lessons, but I'd like to just pull forward three for us to reflect on as we think about the ways that we can embrace that more fully. As you open to it and get oriented to it, um, as you may recall, John 14 really through 17 is Jesus' farewell discourse on the eve before his death and resurrection. So the teachings there are really those that would carry the disciples unbeknownst to them, both then and now, beyond um, the immediate circumstances. And so as we pick up in this section, we read these words in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. In those words are an entire sermon unto itself, as Jesus reminds us that to love him is to obey him. Love is obedience to Jesus. Love is to put ourselves into his hands, trusting that. And that as we obey him, he is made manifest, or he's revealed, or we see Jesus in doing just that. Now, for us, on this side of things, this has a different context. For the disciples, of course, it's baffling. They are seeing Jesus speak these words as he's saying that they will see him. And so it's, it's kind of a, what's, what's going on? It seems a little odd. So Judas, not Iscariot, we're, we're told, then basically says, well, Lord, how are we going to see you but the world will not? And in many ways, what Jesus does to answer in the immediate is something that leaves us beyond that. Namely, that anyone who keeps my words, who obeys me, will fully see me. Even though the world sees Jesus then and there, they don't really see him. They see a teacher. They see a prophet. They see aspects and glimpses. But until they've come under obedience of Jesus, they don't really fully see who Jesus is, namely the Son of God. And that's true even now, is it not? I think it's a first lesson for us perhaps to reflect upon, which is quite obvious, but also apropos of a baptism, which is that the whole of our lives is one of asking ourselves who's operating. Who's operating at the helm, if I can extend our analogy of piloting perhaps a bit further, who is operating our lives? Um, as we come to faith in Jesus, it's not a one time I've chosen to do that, but daily we have to ask ourselves and reflect, take inventory, who's operating? At the beginning of the day, where do our minds go? What are our first thoughts in consciousness during the day? There may be a clue. At the end of the day, where does our mind leave off? Do we bring ourselves back at the end of the day to reflect upon the ways that we have um, embarked upon this life of obedience to Jesus or ways that we have eschewed that and pushed them away and then offer up a prayer of repentance and resolve to, by God's grace, walk more faithfully in those ways in the day ahead? Who's operating? Something that we must all reflect upon. And the good news is that when we do that daily, we will see Jesus. But what does that really look like? What does it mean to allow Jesus to there operate our lives? Well, we discover that wonderful promise that we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks in verse 24. That as Jesus speaks these things in verse 25, 
while he's with you, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, will be the one who will help them in his absence. That celebration for them would come about a month and a half after these words are spoken. We celebrate those in the life of the church in two short weeks, as Jesus' ascension is this Thursday, and ten days later we celebrate the descending of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes, we're told, of course, what the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit brings to mind, recalls the teachings of Jesus, who himself embodies all of the law and the prophets beforehand. There is this um, picture of perfect union with the God who creates the world, with God the Son who has lived that out, brought understanding, and then God the Holy Spirit who does not bring new revelation, but rather continues to reveal those things from the Godhead. The Holy Spirit will give recall, but thanks be to God, it's not just mere recall, it's understanding. And when we think about that, it makes sense. I mean, the disciples on the other side of Pentecost have that moment, do they not? They look back and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off for them as they think about this moment when Jesus is in the temple overturning tables and these cryptic sayings about the temple being torn down and rebuilt in three days and all of this. And they go, oh, wow, that was it. That's what he was talking about. It was himself, not the physical temple. Or as they're thinking back on all the events of Holy Week, and they think about the, the, the triumphal procession in, and for the first time, these prophecies of Zechariah and the Psalms all just light up as they realize, oh, that's what he meant by his kingdom. There's a fullness of understanding that comes. And so too with us now. In many ways, I think there's another piece that I subject you to in my alliteration, of course, um, not only in operating, but the Holy Spirit remains us uh, remains to keep us oriented in life. That's how we remain under the authority of God. He keeps us oriented. <laughs> now, of course, we see this play out in our own lives. We read um, scripture. We have the account of what was recalled. We spend time in it. But as we go throughout life, there are these moments where we must apply it. And it's there that the Holy Spirit works that out for us. No sooner do we understand these wonderful phrases like turning the other cheek and choosing to leave vengeance to God and choosing to forgive, then we have real people and real circumstances that make that ever harder. And when we run into those moments, the Holy Spirit gives us the recall of those passages and then helps us discern what that looks like to let go of bitterness and anger, to not um, live in that cycle, if you will, but entrust them into God's gracious hand and find the freedom that we do when we do just that. Or when we go throughout life and, you know, the whole of life is to get to some sort of place of stability and we, we finally find ourselves in those places and we recognize that what God says in Jesus that um, to, 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 to lead is not uh, the amount of people who are around us, but rather what we do in the posture of our heart as Jesus reminds us that he came not to be served, but to serve. And we see for the first time what that means to love and serve those around and under us. All these passages come back. Jesus gives us recall, but then they are, they are embodied in life as we go throughout it. But this can only happen, this can only happen if and when we are rooted in Scripture. 
And that's why the church has always kind of beat that drum over and over again, because we have to remain rooted in Scripture. Otherwise, how can we have recall for something for which we've not spent time in? Or how can we have understanding for something that we've not read? Um, and, and thus, it's so important. And so today, you have that opportunity. You're going to hear about an upcoming opportunity um, that we'll embark upon this fall, but all 56 churches in the diocese are being encouraged to do so as well. Um, it's a model that's used globally, um, whereby we sit with the text, we internalize it, we look at what it means in our context, and then we have accountability as to application in our own lives. So I hope you'll stick around for 30 to 45 minutes in the course of your week just to hear a bit more. We're going to embark upon that this fall. But as you begin to think about these things, I hope you'll make time for that. Because in order to find the peace that's promised at the end of our reading, we have to make the priorities whereby we can discover that. The promise, of course, there in verse 27 and following, right? My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you do I give. The world is in contrast time and time again in John 14 to 17 between the, the life that Jesus brings and the world in which they live. We understand that. Words like peace make sense to us. And everything we do and the ways in which we operate, we're really chasing peace um, in the next peaceful vacation we can finally get or in the next peaceful moment on the other side of summer or in the next peaceful season when we get a little more stabilized or whatever that looks like. But we know, if we've lived more than five minutes, <laughs> that those moments are fleeting, and they don't last. And the peace that Jesus brings is far different than that peace which the world gives. Sadly, at times, the church has married these things up in a way that is not helpful. The promise is not that you will have a peaceful life. The promise is not that you will have a life whereby God does not give you more than you can handle. The promise is far different. It's a life of peace. And if you've never grabbed um, a calendar of the church, the historic church lives in a different calendar than the secular world with January to December. If you've not picked one up, they're on all the tables. If you pick one up and you just thumb through those pages, you'll notice there are a lot of days highlighted in red. For the church, red means blood. Blood means martyrdom. Blood meant turmoil. And so there are people's names all throughout the church year who did not have peaceful lives, but they had peace because they had the presence of the Prince of Peace regardless of what happened in life. And even when the world literally tried to beat that out of them, they could not and they would not because they knew that anything the world could offer would pale in comparison to the presence, the peace they had in the person of Jesus. And so, my friends, that is the promise that we have. That's also the promise that we have to remain open to. And that's the hard part of the journey of life. That we remain not only oriented and recognize these things, but lastly, we remain open to that. Open to what the Holy Spirit will do. Open to serve. Open to embrace. Open to find that peace in the midst of life. Come whatever it may. So this morning, as we have a baptism in a moment, we have an opportunity with our lips to confess our faith. I hope, I pray that you will embrace those words with your life, that you will find again the reminders therein that new life in Christ Jesus comes as we look at who's operating daily, not once and for all, but daily. We make the steps to reorient and bring ourselves under him, 
remaining connected through the pages of Scripture as those moments of recall and instruction come, and that our hearts remain ever open, no matter how hard or how wonderful or how uh, life may bring. Because we know that as we go through this life, the promise of peace is in the person of peace, the prince of peace. And his presence, and his presence alone, is what he can give us, which the world and nothing it has can ever deliver. So this morning I pray that you find peace, pathways of peace, and take those steps whereby you can embrace them. Because as you do so, you discover the joy of the Christian life, one that is not easy, but it is one that is joy-filled. Joy-filled because the person who walks with us is the one who awaits us on the other side of this life. Heaven <clears throat> is not necessarily a place and all of its accolades. Heaven is the person of Jesus, who when this life ends, we are in the presence of forevermore, so that in the midst of strife and struggle, we no longer have to be in the midst of it, but rather we're just in his presence forevermore. We get glimpses of that in the here and now, and that's my prayer it will always be that you will find that, catch those moments of that, and take the steps to embrace that more fully each and every day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.